0: Well, good morning. It's time to get on with our next instalment in the history of the early church from the book of Acts in the New Testament. But I wanted to start by asking, how do you find Monday mornings? Perhaps you'll listen to this on Sunday morning and you'll have a good day planned, a bit of rest, a bit of food, a bit of um, time to spend with God and with the people that you love. But By this evening, once supper's over, bath and bedtime's done, I wonder if you were just dreading the morning. Maybe even if you love your job or you love a new week, new opportunities, new possibilities, maybe even then, Monday is a bit of a struggle. It's a bit of a cliche in our culture, isn't it? Monday morning, blues. Monday morning, it's hard to get out of bed. Monday morning, you feel like a, a big come down from the highs of the weekend, all that you were looking forward to from Friday night onwards, and now it's Monday again. That's sort of what happens. It's kind of the feeling behind this story. we were um, finishing up Acts chapter 15 today, And last week, most of Acts chapter 15 is a big high. It starts in conflict, starts with struggle, starts with a really big question. What do Gentiles, kind of foreigners, people who aren't Jews, what do they have to do when they become Christians? Do they have to follow such and such of the laws that the Jewish people felt they still had to keep? What do you have to do to become a Christian? And the answer comes back loud and clear. You have to have faith in Jesus. That's all there is. You have to trust in all that he's done for you. Put out your empty hands and let him fill them with his goodness, with his grace. That's what Christianity is all about. Bringing our lives to him and saying, Lord, there's nothing in my hands I can bring to you. I simply cling to the cross. There's one of our hymns that goes like that, doesn't it? Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. That's what most of the story was about. It ends on a great big high because the letter goes back to the churches who've been struggling with this question. Do we have to? Do this, do that, get circumcised, follow those laws, do this, do Do we have to add to our faith in Jesus to be real, proper, true, fully fledged Christians? And the answer comes back, no. No, trust in Jesus. Look to him and you'll be saved. Trust in him, believe in your heart. Say with your lips that Jesus is God. He's the one sent from the Father, that God raised him from the dead after he died for our sins. That's the kind of thing you need to do, trust in Jesus. Throw yourself on him and that's it. They do give them some instructions, some kind of suggestions for how to behave. We'll talk about this a little bit more later. They give them um, four rules to keep. No sexual immorality. (laughs) Don't eat blood. (laughs) Don't strangle animals before you uh, eat them. Kind of kill them in a a more humane way. And don't eat meat sacrificed to idols. What are those rules all about? Well, they're mostly about, I think, um, being kind to your neighbours. Those are the kind of things that the Jewish People around them would be really, um, would would have really tender consciences about. So, this is a question about how to look after, how to love your neighbours. We'll get to that a little bit more later on, but it's been a big high. Up in Jerusalem with the apostles, the men themselves, Paul, Barnabas, the elders, James, who was one of Jesus's brothers, he's now kind of the leader of the church in Jerusalem. A great big high where they've been all together and then they've gone out and, and Told the good news to the churches that there's nothing more you have to do other than trust in Jesus, and they're all in a big high. And then Monday morning, normal Christian living. Back to that again. I wonder if you've had those kind of experiences. If you are, are a Christian, if you've been a Christian for a few years, maybe you remember summer camps when you were young, and you were on a big uh, emotional, spiritual high after after hearing about Jesus week in, well, day in, day out for a whole week, singing, spending time with Christians, just loving being in a place that almost felt like a touch of heaven, and then you get back to school. Maybe you felt like that after Sunday morning sometimes, back to normal, back to the family, after you've enjoyed time with, with people you really love, in your church family, and home is a bit trickier than that. I um, hope that isn't the case for many of us, but sometimes it is. We know what that's like if you're a Christian. Um, what a spiritual high can be like, and then going back to the normal stuff of walking with Jesus can feel really strange, can feel almost unreal, can feel a bit disappointing at times. And you long for those days when it's high again, or maybe you feel like it was all just a thing in your mind. Well, this is a story about normal Christian life and the kind of things that we struggle with day in, day out. Let me read it to you from Acts chapter 15, verse 36, into the beginning of chapter 16. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, great friends they were, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Do you remember if you were here before, they'd been on their first missionary journey into what we call Turkey now. Kind of big circular, well, semicircular route. Visiting lots of towns, telling the gospel, seeing lots of people come to believe in Jesus. And then they'd gone back again, encouraging them and come back home to Antioch. Been down to Jerusalem. This is now about five years later. They decide to go back again and encourage them, to strengthen them, to build them up to go back to the places where they have preached, and I guess continue preaching, but something happens. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. That's the Mark who wrote Mark's gospel in the Bible, probably. But Paul didn't think it was wise to take him, because he had deserted them in Pamphylia on the first journey. He deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of God. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. That's back through uh, kind of Antioch, north through Syria into what's modern-day kind of west, uh, eastern Turkey, and then he's he's going moving west. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, two cities we've heard about before, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because the Jews who lived in that area, for all, uh, because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they travelled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Do you see it's kind of normal, back to normal stuff again? I wonder if you've experienced anything like what they're experiencing there. Just going and trying to tell people about Jesus, preaching the word. That's the first thing that's pretty normal for Christians. Number two, conflict and disagreements and falling out with people. That can be pretty normal for Christians. Number three, being flexible, trying to shape the way that you live and the way that you are to gain a hearing, to to just try and break through the barriers that exist between us and other people so that we can tell them about Jesus. That's number three, gaining a hearing, being flexible. Number four, strengthening people around us. Actually, that last point, I think, is what it's all about. It comes up a couple of times. Did you spot it in verse 41? This is what Paul's been wanting to do. He wants to go back and preach the word and see how long, how these churches are doing in verse 36. And then in verse 31, eventually after the argument, he goes through Syria and Cilicia, where they've been before, strengthening the churches and that's what happens in the end. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. That's what it means to be a Christian, to be somebody who's gradually being strengthened and growing. That's what it means for us as a church together, to be a living church. It means to be strengthened, I think, in two ways. Strengthened in depth, in putting our roots deep down into Jesus, and strengthened in fruitfulness and in, in num- the numbers of people who are joining us who are becoming part of the church and wanting to walk with Jesus together in our church family, of growing and strengthening the amount of our fruit. So it's a kind of a deep depth thing and it's a breadth thing too. That was in the last sentence. Strengthened in the faith, in strong foundations in Jesus and growing daily in numbers. Growing up, growing out, growing deep as well. So how do you grow in strength? If that's a normal thing... Maybe say a bit more about it later on if we have time, but that's a normal thing. Well, how do you grow in strength? First thing, you've got to hear the word and you've got to speak it to others. That's what they began with. That's what pretty much the whole of Acts has been about from the beginning. Jesus telling his disciples, wait for my Holy Spirit. And when that power, when God's Spirit comes upon you, then you'll go and you'll be my witnesses. You'll speak close in Jerusalem, a little bit further afield in Samaria. And then a little bit further in Judea, the rest of the country, and then the ends of the earth. And that's what this story has been about. People speaking and gossiping and passing on and chatting about Jesus. That's what these two have been doing. Great friends, Barnabas and Saul, perfectly matched together. One he's a real encourager, probably an older man who took Paul under his wing just after he'd been converted. After he'd come from a life of, of persecuting Christians, Barnabas stuck up for Paul and said, no, Paul is not an enemy, we've got to bring him in, he's one of us, God has called him to be with us. Barnabas had been there at the beginning, giving his inheritance away, so that the church could have funds to feed the poor, to help the sick, to be established and grow. Barnabas had been there, with Paul in the beginning, with the church in the beginning, all the way through that first missionary journey, his name means son of encouragement, and Barnabas is the epitome of an encourager. He'd been there, sharing the good news with Paul, Paul sharing it with him, building each other up, and then from that friendship, building churches, seeing the gospel planted in communities, and, and raising up leaders, and raising up people, and that's what they've been doing, that's what their whole friendship was about, preaching the word. I wonder if you've got opportunities to do that this week. When I was preaching a couple of weeks ago, um, we were talking about clothing that message, so that beating heart is still Jesus, but clothing it in a way that helps other people to understand it. I wonder how you've been finding that in the last couple of weeks. Have you been praying for opportunities to speak? Have you been spotting opportunities just to say something? Have you been thinking about what it is that makes your friends and your family and those around us who don't know Jesus, what is it that makes them tick? And how is it that the good news of Jesus is a better answer, a better solution, a greater joy a more lasting salvation than all the other things we usually look to. That was a couple of weeks ago, and that's what they've been doing. It's the bread and butter of the church, going to all sorts of different communities, whoever they are, and teaching them about Jesus in a way that they can understand. That's a normal thing that the church does, that Christians do day by day. Let's pray for opportunities to do that this week. But that's what they just crack on doing. After the big high of Jerusalem, away they go to do a little bit more speaking about Jesus. But then something gets in the way. And isn't this often the case? After some great victories comes this kind of sad and a kind of disappointing and fairly pathetic defeat where these two great friends just can't agree on something. Something happens where they have to part ways. They can't work it out. They can't sort it out. Now we've got to do a little bit of work on this and work out what was going on. Okay so Barnabas and Paul they've been on this journey before and they at some point on that journey had picked up a man called Mark who turns out, if you read on, turns out to be one of Barnabas's cousins, probably a younger man, younger cousin. Barnabas has him along but he's deserted them, he, ha- he wasn't loyal to them. I don't know what happened exactly, maybe it was, well it was definitely difficult, maybe it was too difficult for Mark to handle and he ends up leaving them and going home turns up again and he's still walking with Jesus. He hasn't left the faith. It was just hard serving alongside Barnabas and Paul. The work they were doing was really difficult and really dangerous and he couldn't handle it. And so he left them and Paul reckons now that not much has changed with Mark. Seems like, no, we're going on something. It's going to be a hard journey again. We're going to probably get stoned and beaten and he held that again and I'm not sure Mark's ready for it. That's Paul's position. But Barnabas says, "No, no, no, we should give him another chance can kind of imagine them going back and forth and Paul saying, hold on, no, this is important work. We've got to get to those churches. We can't have dead weight with us. And Barnabas says, hold on a minute, who's the one who stuck up for you when everybody else said we shouldn't bring you into the fold? I was the one who stuck up for you. You can imagine them having a bit of an argument, going back and forth. And in the end, they can't put it together. I imagine that Whatever was sinful in what they said, if they were harsh words spoken, that that they reconciled those things. There's evidence later on that actually they get back together and start working together again. In fact, there's really clear evidence. At the end of 2 Timothy, one of Paul's letters, just before the end of his life, he calls for Mark to be sent to him. Because he says he's useful for ministry. There's something happened in Mark, he's grown to maturity, he's gone over those younger days when he was just too scared to, to be a part of it. And now he's grown to, to a point where Paul wants him close, doesn't want him to be apart from him again, wants him close at the end of his life because he's a trustworthy guy. So something happens in between, maybe Barnabas was right all along, maybe Paul was right, that it wasn't quite his time. Oh, we don't know, but they can't agree. They can't put these things together again. And they have to go off in two separate directions. Now, God obviously uses that, doesn't he? So you end up with two mission teams instead of one. You end up with Barnabas taking an John with him, John Mark, and doing some encouraging work. So actually, he comes back to usefulness in the end. And, Mark and Paul taking Silas and eventually Timothy, who we meet in chapter 16. And they go off, so you get two for the price of one. And God seems to work, seems to do something good out of the, the tension between Paul and Barnabas. But... But the grief is still there, isn't it? The sadness of that um, of that disagreement is still there. The tension feels like it's still there. It, it would have been better if it hadn't happened. And yet God has, has made it work. God has brought good things out of it. But wouldn't have been better if it hadn't happened in the first place? Well, don't we know situations like that where there have been disagreements and struggles with each other? What we've got to do, what we've got to learn from this, is that we have to work hard to put those back together again especially if they're back to earlier in chapter 15, especially if they're gospel issues. If you're disagreeing with another Christian over whether Jesus is really fully God or whether he's just a, a superman with lots of spiritual power, that's a really substantial, important difference. That's a The question is, who is God? Is it Jesus or is it not? So that's a fundamental question. You can't just agree to disagree over that. Or the issue last week. Should we... When... When Jesus comes to us and dies on the cross for us and says, it is finished. Is it really finished or do we have to add some of our own good works on top of that? How do you get to heaven? How do you get saved? How does God bring you in to be a part of his family? Is it down to partly your work and partly his or is it all of grace, all of God's goodness? Is it him opening his arms like a good father and welcoming back people who recognize they got nothing? It's the latter, isn't it? That's what they found out in, in chapter 15. But if you find somebody who says, no, 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 God starts us off a little bit, but then we have to add our work to him. What they're saying is that when Jesus on the cross says it is finished, it wasn't really finished. And that's a really serious thing to say. Do You see, you can't agree to disagree over that either. There's a good number of issues like that. You might call them kind of central doctrines, central pillars. Things that make the good news of Jesus the good news. That if you took them apart, it it would crumble. It wouldn't be good news anymore. There's a, a few of those things. Who is God? Who is Jesus? What did Jesus achieve on the cross? How do we come to know salvation? There's questions like that are really central, but this isn't one of those. This is, well, how best do we put our team together? Do we employ him or not? Do we employ her or not? Do we buy that building or that building? Do we go and plant a church in this community or in that community? Do do I have Weetabix for breakfast or not? Do I eat meat or do I become a vegetarian? What should I do? There's loads of questions like that where you're free as a Christian to answer them. To answer them according to your conscience and according to the way that God leads you. According to your traditions. So long as you're not adding those on top of Jesus to say, unless you do these things, you're not a real Christian. You see, this is one of those... Should we go this way? Should we go that way? We can agree to disagree. And they have to do that in the end. And it's a sad thing, but it's not the end of the world. As I said, later on, Mark comes back to be with Paul. Later on, Paul and Barnabas get back together to work together. But those kind of disputes often happen in church, don't they? And we have to work at them. They're not the kind of things where, like Sammy was saying last week, you can just say, talk to the hand. I'm not talking to you anymore. I'm cutting you off. They're also not the kind of things just to sweep under the carpet. We should wrestle with each other. We should sit down for coffee. But we should preserve, love. We shouldn't sin against each other. We shouldn't go and start off separate things where we're kind of defining ourselves against each other. No, we should be remembering John chapter 17. If you haven't read that before, go and read it. It's a marvelous, beautiful passage where Jesus himself prays that we'd be one, that Christians together would be one, united with each other, just as the Father is with the Son by the Spirit. So even if you agree to disagree, even if you have to go and join different mission teams, will be a part of different church families. Those church families, those mission teams should love one another, shouldn't speak badly of each other, should consider one another to be, uh, unless you're dividing over those real rock solid central things, they should consider each other, brothers and sisters who we'll spend eternity with. So we really should be getting used to getting on together. Okay, we gotta move on. Paul carries on his direction. Barnabas goes in his and Paul meets um, a new guy. Timothy, maybe a man who came to faith when he was last in Lystra about five years previously. He's been raised up in the faith, discipled by his mother, who was called Eunice. You Learn that from the letter, letters that Paul writes to Timothy later on. You can go read those in the New Testament. But something really strange happens here. Paul circumcises Timothy. Sorry if you're a gentleman. This is not an uh, easy thing to talk about. <laughs> but Paul does it to Timothy. If you don't know what that is, maybe go and look it up. Um, carefully, uh, but I imagine you do want to know what it is anyway. It's a central pillar of Judaism. It's something that Jewish boys have done to them when they're very, very young, and it kind of marks you out as a Jew. But Timothy is kind of half Jew and half Gentile, and he hadn't been circumcised. So the people in the community where he was, the peoples in the community where they were going to go and where he was going to work with Paul, would know. Maybe they would have known his father. Maybe they would just know by looking at him, his accent or the the way that he would talk about his background. They would know that he wasn't circumcised, but that he did come from a Jewish background. And and knowing that he wasn't circumcised, but was from a Jewish background would be a major stumbling block to somebody who, who was a Jew, who was serious about following God's laws, serious about following the laws of Moses. It would probably lead them to write off Timothy and Paul for spending time with Timothy, to think these are not serious people. These are not people who love God. These are not people who we should be listening to. And so you see, it puts a wall up between them and the people that they're trying to reach with the good news of Jesus. So what is Paul doing here? Paul is trying to pull down every single wall that there is between him and the people he wants to share Jesus with. It's another way of thinking about what we were a couple of weeks ago, the heart of the gospel dressed up in clothes that help people to understand it better, help people to welcome it. Well, this is what he's got to do with Timothy. An uncomfortable thing for him to experience. Also a really strange thing considering what the whole debate was about in chapter 15. You could go back to Sammy Sermon last week if you want to get a little bit more on that. But last week they'd said you don't have to get circumcised. You don't have to fulfill the whole of the Jewish law in order to be a real Christian. You can if you want to, but you don't have to. And then all of a sudden, and Paul was really adamant about that, you really do not have to be fulfilling the Old Testament law in order to be a true Christian. Paul was adamant. Go and read the book of Galatians if you want to see him pulling out really strong language about that. Paul is adamant that you don't have to do that. And then all of a sudden he's circumcising Timothy. Well, why? It's not because Timothy isn't quite a true full Christian yet and he's got to get circumcised to finish finish off the job. It's not that at all. What it is, is a kind thing. It's a kind thing for the people around them who have all sorts of cultural things that make them not really want to listen to the message of Jesus. And Paul is trying to take out as many of those as possible so they can clearly hear the good news of Jesus. You see, see, this isn't about the central truths of the gospel. It's not about those pillars. This is about hearing the gospel right, about having all of the um, haze and mist, all of the curtains pulled back so that you can really hear what Jesus is all about. What would that look like today? Well, I grew up in Southeast Asia. If you know me, you'll know that already. I always go on about it. But I um, grew up among Muslim people. We had some friends. I in fact I know quite a few people who follow these practices. Friends who worked among Muslims. And Muslims, as you might know, don't eat pork. No bacon, no sausages, nothing like that at all. And so our friends would not eat pork. When they were out in Indonesia, where I grew up, they, they wouldn't eat bacon or sausages or anything like that. Um, so that they could go and kind of have a clear conscience when they spoke to their Muslim neighbours and friends, that they would be seen as people who are serious about following God. They would be seen as people who weren't kind of um, dirty or weren't um, careless. They were people who were serious about walking with God, serious about not just uh, treading with muddy boots over the carpets of the local customs. They were sensitive. They were generous. They were giving up their own freedoms to reach these people with the good news of Jesus. But it didn't stop when they were in Indonesia. They would come home for what we call home assignment or like furloughs every four years. You'd come back for a whole year, see family, catch up with people, um, remember what life is like in the UK again. And even then they wouldn't eat sausages or bacon or pulled pork or any of those delicious things. So that when they went back to their friends in Indonesia, if they ever asked them, sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't. But if they were ever asked by a Muslim friend or a neighbor, are you somebody who eats pork? They could say, no, I'm not, with a clear conscience. And that's not them saying, if you, if you wanna be a true Christian, you have to not eat pork. Pork is dirty and bad. No, it says really clearly in the Bible, all foods now are on the table for Christians because we're free in Jesus. You see, our consciences should be cleansed and free to do all sorts of things, to enjoy all sorts of stuff that God has given to us in this world. But we hold those freedoms in open hands. We say, I'm free to eat bacon, but I don't want to eat bacon because it'll help me reach my Muslim neighbours. It'll give me a clear conscience when I go and speak to them. They'll know that I'm somebody who's serious about respecting their customs, serious about loving them, serious about giving them, about doing anything, about laying down my life if I need to, to give them a message of Jesus, the message of the one who laid his life down for us. Do you see that? all of this, this normal Christian life, strengthening each other, that's what Jesus did. That's what he came to give his life to do, to plant us deep in good spiritual soil and to strengthen us day by day by his spirit. That's a normal Christian thing. We should be strengthening each other, preaching and speaking the words. That's what Jesus came to do. He often avoided times where people were trying to get him to do miracles so that he could go and speak to other people and preach to them about Jesus. So do you have opportunities where you could speak this week? getting into arguments with people that's something that Jesus did but he was gracious and patient and always stood for the truth i was always trying to put people together again um but when he couldn't when they wouldn't turn to him Jesus let them go Jesus is somebody who got into a lot of arguments with people but always stood for what was truth and always did so with grace and with patience and with, um, with real goodness in his words, even when he had sharp disagreements with people. And finally, Jesus is someone who is flexible. Let me read to you what Paul says to kind of summarise this. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. Paul says, do I mean that the food... Oh, I forgot the right place. Um, um, yeah, uh, 9, 19. All right, sorry, I was reading ten nineteen. Here we go. 1 Corinthians nine nineteen. Though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. And then chapter 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example. Christ, do you see? Jesus is the one who was really flexible in taking on human nature and body, in stepping into our world to speak human language. Flexible even to go to death on the cross, to lay down his life so that we could be saved. I wonder what you would lay down. What kind of privileges do you have that you could give up for the people around you? What kind of things do you hold quite dear? Do you think are pretty actually pretty important to you that you could give up for the sake of the people around you? Timothy, well, Timothy went through an awful lot of pain and real kind of squeamish agony for the sake of clearing away every obstacle so the people around him could hear about Jesus. My friends in Asia give up bacon sandwiches, sausage um, and egg and chips and those kind of delicious things. Give up all of those privileges so that people can hear about Jesus. Um, I wonder what that would be for you. I wonder how you can strengthen people this week, just in normal life. Who could you text? Who could you message? Who could you pray for? I wonder who you could speak to who doesn't know Jesus yet. How you could do some thinking about what it is about the good news of Jesus that might really click with them. I wonder what kind of disputes and struggles you'll come up with this week. Well, if they're about central things, then you've got to work them out. You've got to get to the point where you're really clear about the gospel, But if they're not about central things, I wonder if you could be generous there. I wonder if you could agree to disagree, but in a way where you really still love that person. And how could you be flexible this week? What privileges? What riches? What comfortable things could you leave behind this week in order to go and share Jesus with the people around you? Amen.